The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. But you sound like you're congested. Is cycling maybe not fitting quite as well right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I picked up a cold. Uh, it's the first one I've had in a year. You know, it turns out when you stay away from uh, other filthy humans and put a mask on when you're near them, you don't get the common cold. It becomes less common. But <laughs> we, we sent the kids back to school for the last, I don't know, five or six weeks of the year. And just in the last week, my uh, youngest son brought home the cold virus, which wow. promptly kicked my ass. <laughs> I'm a little better today. Yesterday, I was pretty cross-eyed, but... Um, mm. I was trying, I was trying to sort of like ride my way out of it, you know, like if I get a good hard sweat on, all, all the sort of wives tale stuff that does not work. I was definitely <laughs> trying to do that um, and I didn't get good results and uh, yeah, but here I am. <laughs> okay, well, I, I wish you uh, continued improving health. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, before we get to... Uh, the first uh, item up for bid on the showcase showdown here. I'm, I have a quick question for you. Okay. Uh, what's the last bike you bought? Oh, uh, a Pivot Mach 4 SL. Uh, it came in for a review and I'm overdue on writing that review. Um, and about two weeks into my having written it, uh, which is to say it like sat around for two, two and a half months without parts because um pandemic yeah so you know it, it just sat around for a long time they'd be like how you doing and i'm like i'm still waiting on stuff from shimano uh mm. then i finally got it built up and like yeah two weeks into that i was like uh what what is what does the check say um because uh, you're not going to get this back right yeah right yeah that's very interesting um and did that would did that come to you at the beginning of the pandemic no we were way way into the pandemic interesting the only reason i was able i mean so they tell me uh or most likely the reason that i was able to get that frame set was because it was set up with uh fox's live valve system the electronic okay. damping for suspension which has not really taken the industry by storm um, mm. And so they actually had some sitting in a warehouse, you know, a, a, a frame set in my size and a color that I like hoo -hoo, uh, with live valve. Had I just wanted regular suspension, I might still be waiting. Sure. Sure. That's very interesting. But th this is this gets to my pull for the week. Mm. I want to I want to talk a little bit about uh, bicycle retail. Um, mm. I think, you know, a lot of the people that I work with are bike shop owners. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I certainly have a network of bike shop friends kind of throughout the country that I speak with semi-regularly. And I was talking to a guy the other day and I, you know, we've all been living in this uh, world where there aren't there aren't really any bikes. <laughs> and and yeah. my, so my overarching question is, hey, where are the bikes? Where are the bikes? So the conventional wisdom of the pandemic said that demand skyrocketed and overwhelmed supply. Yes. And that idea was borne out both in the data and the anecdotal sort of conversational information I got from my bike shop owning friends. Mm -hmm. I, I heard all sorts of stories about bikes arriving at their shops already sold and also bikes landing and disappearing in a day, even if they weren't pre sold. Mm hmm. Um, and I don't know about you, but I saw all those people pedaling around my neighborhood and on the roads and also on the trails. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was sort of messy wish fulfillment for me where more people were on bikes, but also more people who didn't really know how to ride, didn't know trail etiquette, etc. were out in the world, you know, to contend with. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and that's fine. It's an annoyance worth putting up with and more people on bikes. You know, there's, there will be growing pains. It's all good. But here's where the mystery starts to unfold for me. In the bike producing regions of the world, conditions are alleged to have returned to normal. Really? That's alleged. Right? So the by by whom? Well, by the interested governments. Mm. Things are fine here. We've got this licked. Oh. Okay. But, yeah. But I, I can see where that's going. What's that? <laughs> I can see where that's going. Yeah. yeah. But I spoke to a guy who's a very successful seller of one of the big four brands. Uh, I talked to him just the other day and he said he hasn't received any bikes in months from this brand. <laughs> and he's not scheduled to receive any. So he's a single shop, but he moved a lot of units in past decades. Like he's one of the top three shops for this brand in the state that he's in and the state that he's in moves a lot of bikes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I love you, Wyoming, but it's not you. <laughs> <laughs> so she, he should have some clout or pull or sway with them, whatever it is that ma the manufacturers honor when they make their, their shipping plans, but he's not getting any bikes. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that you may cover or not later on but hmm. is this mover of one of the big brands uh is that brand one that also happens to own a fair number of their own dealerships um yeah i mean in the big four okay three of them do own a lot of their dealers right uh depending on which of those big three some of them uh, own some some one of them owns a whole bunch well this one this one is not that one this one <laughs> we're kind of we're really tiptoeing around it here yeah. i feel like deep throat um <laughs> this one this one maybe has more influence over its uh the means of production than the others so i'll just leave you with that and i'm not saying any more okay but um no bikes. He's getting he's getting no bikes. And and what they say to him when he's like, I need bikes is they say, well, you can have these at this date, but you have to pay for them 
by this date. And the date that they've given him is after the season ends. He is in a state where there are seasons. And he sort of told them to pound sand. Um, but all of this sort of uh, is is noise around the fact that there aren't bikes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it doesn't this isn't just about bikes. I mean, you, you talked about getting parts from Shimano. I know that there are um, a lot of the guys that I talked to um, over recent months have said they they couldn't get an 11 speed chain to save their lives or, yeah. you know, there are critical failure points in the ability to make a complete bicycle. So it's yeah. not just about, you know, frame makers. It's about uh, the big company's inability to produce complete bikes to ship out the door. Yeah. And so um, I'm just concerned. I know that a lot of manufacturers are looking at the demand curve and saying, well, this isn't going to last forever. So we're not going to expand capacity. Basically, we're not going to make more bikes than we would in a normal year because that's going to involve investments that we can't amortize over a longer period because we just don't think the demand is going to sustain. Right. And that's fair enough. But I think we're at a point in 2021 where it's someone needs to say where the bikes are because <laughs> I don't even see that they're getting a normal season's worth of production out the door. It's not the case, uh, uh, the case that there are some bikes, but not enough. There just seem not to be bikes. You know, when I was looking for a, a bike, a medium or large adult bike for my son mm-hmm. last month, there were not any. Yeah. Yeah, there were, there were extra large, a few extra large frames and bikes in certain in certain uh, brands, but by and large, no bikes. And I just, I through one of my other um, consulting gigs, uh, I I deal with a lot of um, hand built bike folks, and they they all can produce frames, but they can't get parts and wheels. Yeah. Um, and just my question is, where, where is it all? Where is it all? Because I don't see that what I'll call unscientifically a normal season's worth of production has happened. Even though I yeah. know a lot of these these places are running. You know, a normal work day, let's say. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. The factories that run three shifts are still running three shifts. It seems, I mean, maybe they're not. And and no one has said that, but I've heard a lot of, uh, even even what I'll call second tier bike companies, so sort of outside the big four, I've heard them taking strategies like, well, you know, here it is February. This was February 2021. You can have these bikes if you commit to them right now, and you can have no more and you can have no less and you can't swap or change. Like basically, yeah, <laughs> buy this or don't buy anything. And that that is definitely the strategy of someone managing a, a supply that they know is finite mm-hmm. and with no flexibility, which the lack strikes, of flexibility. Sorry, it, go ahead. Well, I just I think you're going to say what I was about to say, which is, you know, that's just not indicative of a normal manufacturing output. 
Yeah. I mean, when you can say, you know, you can have five, five bikes, uh, two of them are mediums, one's an extra large, one's an extra small. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get you one large, you know, at the very end of it all. I mean, that says that they know a, they have a finite supply and B, they know it's going to sell no matter what. So right. they're just running down the list of like, who's the first that's going to absolutely commit to this so that I can move, move on to the next thing. Yeah. I mean, and, I do, I do see some channel adjustments, you know, where manufacturers are saying, well, we can't get more bikes out. So let's sell the ones we have in the highest margin channels we can find. That's, mm-hmm. you know, I guess if you were a, a sales person that seems like a reasonable tack but i i definitely understand you know like this guy that i was talking to said they would sell me x number of bikes by i'm i'm picking a random date this is not the actual date they gave him but by july 15th (laughs) but they said you then have 30 days to pay for all those and he said well when do i get my next shipment of bikes because cash flow requires cash to flow you know like i'll pay for those and then i'll get more Right. Like you have to keep that thing going. You can't. I just don't want to burn all of my cash in the middle of the summer. And they said, well, we can't tell you when or, you know, not until at least November. And he's like, how does that work? How do you think how do you think that works? And regardless of like what your level of demand is. The concept of telling your client, um, here's what I have to sell you. It's Mm. much more limited than usual. Um, I need you to pay for it right away, but I'm not going to give it to you for four more months. It's up to you to figure out how to survive in the meantime. That is such an incredibly hostile relationship. Right. How do you, how do you even go to someone and say that? I mean, how do you get your sales team to go, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm on that. I'll make that call. Uh just as a human being, I couldn't do it. Yeah, I don't know any bike shop owners, and I know a lot. I don't know any bike shop owners who are really excited about their vendors. Yeah. And this has been an issue I think for more than a decade, which is that bike companies uh Definitely think of the end rider as their customer and not the bike shop. I think I think they take the attitude that the bike shop is a necessary evil in their distribution network. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But they have no uh, reticence at all about, you know, changing terms, dictating terms, et cetera, et cetera. well, and I, I mean, wanna... just the number of normal practices that have gone out of the window. Okay. Yeah. Preseason dating, you know, mm. that's, I mean, not only do you not get dating, it's reverse dating. Right. Yeah. Then there's the fact that like, yeah, you used to be able to put in your order. And if you wanted to f- adjust some of the colors or uh, adjust some of the sizes before mm. everything arrived, that was a thing. That's not a thing anymore. No. And, you know, what What I don't want this to be is a discussion of how evil the bike companies are. Um, you know, anyone that yeah. produces something like a bicycle, which is a magical and wonderful device, uh, 
is going to do some things right and do some things wrong. So that that's not my goal. I think I think what's just been on my mind is how difficult it's been to run a bike shop mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for the last 18 months. Yeah. Um, I I just continue to be really like you just curious where are the bikes because at this point you know the interest in buying new bikes has fallen off to some degree because they've been so hard to get. So you'd think that bike shops would be kind of caught up on all that by now, but that's not the case. Right. And yeah, I I'm not out to bash bike companies. Um, certainly they've had a challenging, uh, you know, 18 months or so. One of the really curious things that I, I've enjoyed looking at um, as as production on components has, um, you know, even before the pandemic, it, supply of component groups had gotten a little thinner and yeah. you, you couldn't necessarily get all the things that you wanted right when you wanted. So it used to be that like... Uh, the S works tarmac from specialized uh, would have durace on it, or it would have red on it there. You know, there was the build. Right. And now when you go to a bike company's website, you know, and you look at something like, you know, the, the pro level tarmac, there will be the SRAM version that's mechanical. There will be the right. DI2 version. There will also be uh, a Shimano mechanical one. You know, mm. there will be multiple versions of that bike. And that's been a really interesting response, not just to supply, but also, um, you know, meeting consumer demand. Sure, uh, sure. Being more flexible for the consumer. Yeah, so I, I see a lot right. of things that they've done that have been really wonderful. And yeah you know, customer centric. Um, but yeah, it, it, bikes are still just trickling out. They are. I think it's the lack of transparency that is confusing to me because obviously I'm, I'm not for hatching conspiracies or even for reckless conjecture, but it seems an awful lot like Asian manufacturing did not come back online or is crippled in some ways that we just haven't been clued in on. You know, when I talk to these shops, they're sort of like their rep doesn't say anything. They don't say, oh, you can't have bikes because. And, you know, part of that, you know, maybe the answer is uh, the ports are jammed. You know, there was a definitely a, a period where shipping containers were in short mm-hmm. supply. And Mm -hmm. so there just weren't enough shipping containers to move things, um, which seems just like the goofiest reason not to be able to get stuff. But, you know, you can't get all the groceries home from the store if you don't have enough bags. But but I just think larger picture, the manufacturers owe um, their customers who are the bike shops uh, and even their end users some explanation for why are there no bikes? It's, it is simply not a case that there's too much demand. Yeah. Yeah. If we dial this back to normal human interpersonal relationships. Yeah. You know, what's kind of the number one rule about keeping things happy and healthy? Being communication. Truthful. Yeah. Communication. Truthful communication. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like that's I can't understand why 
maybe they don't want to tell them all of their allocation plans. Mm. I can understand that. Mm. But they're not even coming anywhere near that in terms of communication, as you're saying. Yeah. You know, and it's like, what do they expect to really happen here? I don't know. I don't know unless they think this is the distribution disruption that changes everything to direct sales and, you know, bike shops are now officially just service centers. And the guys that I talk to are doing a tremendous service business, right? They are. Mm -hmm. They're fixing Mm -hmm. every bike that crept out of every garage in every suburb everywhere. Um, So it's interesting. The ones that have pivoted, you know, to service, and I don't think service is tremendously lucrative. I mean, it's a good, I think... Of the people I talk to, they say the margin is good on service, but you only have 40 hours. There are only so many qualified, <laughs> you know, yeah. mechanics and there are only 40 hours in the day. So that's a hard ceiling on what you can do if you can't also sell products. Yeah. So it's a hard road to hoe. I, I, I ring this bell a lot on the site uh, and have done for years. But if you're if you're out there, you know, do support your local bike shop somehow. Get get a water bottle, <laughs> get some <laughs> energy bars, do something, because uh, those people are trying hard. Where you are, what are you hearing in terms of like the stuff that, you know, for a while ceased to exist, you know, like um, 26 inch inner tubes and cables and housing and yes, chains. Um, yeah, it's a complete it's opaque, right? You know, like things disappear. I, you know, you understand, right? So everyone trotted out that mountain bike they bought in the 90s to ride again mm-hmm. because they had time suddenly. So there go all the inner tubes. Great. And by the way, they're also not making as many as they were because many of their factory workers were ill or <laughs> it wasn't safe for them to be in the factory. I, I don't pretend to be an expert on international labor markets. I don't want to resort to tropes. Uh <laughs> even if I buy into them on some level, but that, so what I hear is just confusion. And this is kind of the, you know, it, it follows on from the story of where are the bikes mm-hmm. uh, I, again. And I think it's fine. You know, I work with uh, a couple manufacturers still, and I see the struggles that they have. And I, I just communicate those to the, to the customers that I talk to. Here's, here's why this isn't happening. You know, it's a case of at least for those who are manufacturing domestically, um, they really couldn't have all the people in the building. And if they could have the people in the building, they had to spread them out in a way that made things much less efficient. And, you know, there are there were a lot of reasons that they couldn't produce all the things that they produced. And some of those truths that I distributed were hard truths. You know, they were things along the lines of, yeah, no one wants to increase capacity because then you end up with more employees and more machines and you end up, you know, mothballing the machine and laying off the employee and and they don't want to do that. So it's, it's, there are, there are things going on and reasons, but at least, you know, and I'm not trying to hold myself out as the paragon of, of whatever, but at least, you know, there's a real story. Here's what's here's what's going on. Yeah. And here's why it's happening this way. And it's not awesome. And, you know, if you were making the decisions, you would want them made differently. But that's but you don't. 
And so here's why that we have limited supply of this thing. Um, <laughs> but I think I think, you know, you owe your you owe your your partners. I won't even call them customers. You owe your partners those explanations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I you know, I can't think of any circumstances where clear and open communication isn't like the first ingredient in a better relationship. Sure. I mean, you and I have uh, an editorial relationship, right? We're talking every day about the things we're writing for Cycling Independent. Mm -hmm. And if I just stopped producing them or I my my output was half or less, you'd Mm -hmm. say, hey, what's going on? And I'd say, well, my arms fell off and that's been more challenging than I anticipated. Or I would say something. But if I just didn't Mm -hmm. say anything, you'd think I was nuts and our relationship would end. It would suffer. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I like you enough. I'd put up with a certain amount of, st- I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but I like you enough. I'd put up with a certain amount of BS for, you know, I don't know, 60 days, 90 days, 60 days. I got a, I got some emotional capital in the bank with you. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> see. And see, I knew I shouldn't have let you know, cause now you can, you can just glide, right? Yeah. I'm going to, um, I'm going to absolutely take advantage of that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, that's, that's my big question. Where are the bikes? If someone, if someone out there in bike land has a a cogent answer for me, cogent was the operative word there. If someone has a cogent answer for me, please leave it in the comments. Yeah. Uh, Or if it's comedic, leave that in the comments as well. Yeah. 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 We'll take that too. If it's funny or mean, I'll take that too. Yeah, I'm most, well, actually, we'll probably take any comments you want to make. You know? Sure. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know, open communication, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. But now, you know, this actually makes me think of a friend I have who is based in Taiwan, uh, used to be with GT, very smart guy, super experienced, has a, a company of his own now um, that's doing uh, tire inserts, um, you know, for kind of run flattish type yep. stuff. Yep. Maybe what I need to do is get him on the horn because he's very well connected in Tai Chung. And right. it would be fun to see what he has been picking up on in the last few months. Yeah, it would yeah. be great for, you know, just even to hear from him to say, oh, we're running half speed because local restrictions are great. Yeah. That's that's information. Yeah. 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 Um, it would it would not be difficult for us to know more than we know that's right it's bizarre in the age of information i feel like if it was the 70s i'd be like well i read in someone's you know snail mail newsletter the other day that this happened last year and that's potentially the cause but that's not the age we live in anymore you know when uh, because if covid had happened in europe we'd just now be finding out about it yeah yeah i just we should know or it would be nice to know i would love to have something to I would have some I would love to talk to a bike shop owner and not feel a depressed futility in their voice. Yeah. Resignation isn't sexy. No. And it's you know, you know how much time these people plow into their businesses. Um, well, none of them is know, getting very well. I should say very few of them are getting wealthy and to have them have that sense of like i just can't even control my own destiny here <laughs> that's that's tough the 
I think the the single most tragic part of this for the bike shop owner is, you know, you get into bicycle retailing because you have a passion for putting people on bikes. Right. And everything they're dealing with right now is sort of antithetical to sure. that. Sure. And so if you if you're not getting your own passion fed in terms of putting people on bikes, plus you're not making any money. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What are you doing with those 60 or 70 hours a week that I know, you know, you're, you're burying, uh, behind the counter of your bike shop. Anyway, this is, this is getting gone dark and glum and, 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 and maybe we should take a break. Okay. Yes. Uh, we will take a break and we will be back in just a minute. The pace line is brought to you by the cycling independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick, what is your poll for the week? Well, last week I heard from our listener Fred who took issue with something we said about the presence of dogs in the woods. Oh. He he took issue with the show's lack of opposition to dogs running off-leash on trails. Mm. And when he shared that with me, I realized that, A, you know, I need to validate that there's no one correct attitude toward dogs and trails, okay? Mm -hmm. And B, observe that how you feel about dogs can be rather powerfully influenced by where you live. Okay. So to that end, when I lived in Massachusetts, riding mountain bikes with your dog was definitely a thing. I saw riders out with dogs trailing behind and doing, in many cases, a pretty good job of staying out of the way and keeping up at that. That was Mm. the part that amazed me the most. Um, I also encountered riders on the local bike path who would ride along with their dogs on a leash, which... I'm going to say tended to sow confusion, sort of like a stoplight blinking green in all directions. Um, I mean, I knew guys who didn't go for rides without their dogs, though I can remember more than one occasion where due to the length of the ride, a buddy had to drop off in order to nurse his tired pup back to the start. Mm. I can also report that watching someone pick up a 140 pound Rottweiler (laughs) that is too tired to jump into the bed of a pickup is cause for much laughter. Yeah. Uh, um, I I, actually, I I didn't feel badly for him trying to pick the dog up, but I felt badly for the dog because the dog was just completely blown. Um, (laughs) um, but you know, here in California, most of the places I mountain bike, dogs aren't allowed. Um, so when I see people with dogs, they're usually walking on some sort of, you know, kind of multi-use path. Um, and on those occasions, I'll say that I'm just praying for anything other than a retractable leash. The retractable leash 
I think is a crime against dogmanity and humanity. Dogmanity is not a word, but you know what I mean? I think, yeah. I think your dog's either on leash or your dog is not on leash. Yeah. I, the retractable I, no. is this horrible middle, middle place. That's an opinion. It, it is also about 83% true. So there's the, you know, just factually correct. Um, I, uh, in, in my dating life, you know, I'm on certain services and one of them has a question about like, how do you feel about retractable leashes and children or putting children on leashes? And, you know, uh, for most folks, the correct answer is, you know, no, you don't want a kid on a leash, but I actually stuck in a little explanation. It's like, you know, I had a runner. I, I had yeah. a, a kid who would just take off. And, you know, there were times when he was two, three, where I thought about it. I'm, I thought I about never it. put my kids on leashes, but and you shouldn't. But I get it. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I am I am done with the, the should or should not on that uh, score. OK. Um, yeah, there were there were some incidents with Philip where. You know, it was that uh, I'm just going to go with grace of God. OK, you right, know, right, just, right, right. We, we got lucky. Yeah, <laughs> we got lucky. That kid yeah. would take off and his verve for the world was uh, such that things could have gotten very, very poorly. Sure. But a retractable leash and a dog is and this is an opinion, truly, um, that is a failure of understanding how to properly discipline a dog. A dog is a trainable thing. You know, this is this is something you can accomplish. Well, I think I think a dog is a trainable thing and a human is a trainable thing. And when you sometimes. Yeah. So I have a sometimes. So I have a dog and 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 a big part of, you know, us, uh, a big part of our relationship is him getting what he needs from me and me getting what I want from him. You know, <laughs> sorry, that was difficult. Um, and and so, uh, you know, like with a leash, for example, when I walk my dog, uh, I walk my dog on a leash and he knows that he's walks on the right side of me. And, and, you know, like these are just the expectations we have when we're walking. Yeah, you've established a relationship. Sure. When I run or ride with him um, and he doesn't come with me that often. He's just not that kind of trail dog. He does not have more than five miles in him. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas some of my friends always bring their dogs because their dogs will run forever. And if they can get 15 miles of trail in the dog, the dog then sleeps, which is, you know, a good thing. So, yeah. you know, dogs vary too. And I don't, you know, Fred, um, doesn't think that dogs should be off leash on trails. I respect that opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely when I'm in the woods and I, I, I come across dogs all the time that are poorly trained or poorly, poorly everything. And I think what an unbelievable pain in the ass. And I'm annoyed with the owner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Having said that, who does the trail belong to? That's my core thing. I mean, even when Mm -hmm. it's inconvenient to me and fully respecting Fred and him not wanting to deal with dog off leash dogs on the trail, which I get because it is a pain in the ass. And that is a reasonable response. Okay, let's just not have them there. But I think, you know, a lot of the reasons the world is the way the world is, is because humans have imposed their will everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, that's and, a that's a truth. I think it would be more fair. This is going to get hippy dippy and weird real quick, but it would be more fair to ask the trees. Hey, do you guys mind the dogs? You live here. <laughs> do you mind the dogs? <laughs> I just. Well, the- The thing that I got to thinking about when I looked at his note was what my life was as a cyclist in Tennessee. And then contrasting that with Massachusetts and California. And as a cyclist, um, as a cyclist, uh, dogs here in California are simply a reality. You're going to come across them. Right. Same Um, here. Yeah. In in all likelihood, you're going to need to slow down a little bit. I couldn't tell you the last time I felt threatened by a dog. Uh, I've worried for, you know, my safety in terms of, you know, the the retractable leash being out 20 feet. Right. But but I've never really felt threatened by a dog. But being a cyclist in Memphis, um, a dog. A dog there is a threat first before anything else that's you you apprehend a dog as this is a problem that i need to address <laughs> yeah. it may not be a big problem it may pass easily but i need to be prepared to sprint to grab something to swing at dog i don't know what it is about some people who live in the South and their notions of what dog ownership uh, is meant to do. Mm. But, you know, in Memphis, uh, there were people who didn't have fenced yards and had dogs who guarded the yards. And the dog thought that uh, the quarter mile of asphalt in front of their home is being part of the yard. I wrote Um, a review about this dog. Yeah. Yeah. On the site. Yeah. And, you know, there's that great scene in American Flyers where, you know, right. uh, Marcus is going to take him out training with Eddie. Who's Eddie? Right. You know, <laughs> he got my shoe, man. He got my shoe. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, there were a couple dogs on this one group ride that I used to do that, like, we had to accelerate. The whole group had to accelerate because of the dog. Um, and there were times when I encountered ownerless dogs on trails, you know, just running around. Uh, they didn't appear to be rabid. They weren't foamy, but they were still running around. And, you know, I see a dog with no owner in sight. And my first thought is, boy, I hope I have my rabies shot up to date. Right. So Fr- Fred know, big- is not wrong. Fred is not wrong. Yeah. And I think people should be more responsible with their dogs, both for the dog safety and the safety of other people. Those are those, those things I think are true. I tend to think that uh, humans shouldn't get to make the rules everywhere. And the woods are one of the places where we come second or third or fifth. Um, and I would add that I find the people I encounter in the woods by and large. Okay. But mm-hmm. as a percentage, I would say sketchier than the dogs I come across. <laughs> I haven't really weighed that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's the most threatening species you come across in the woods? Probably the humans. Oh, I was going to go with the poison oak. Oh, I do have some poison uh, something going on right now. It's a very itchy time of year. Yeah, I you know, there's one upside to being in a drought in Northern California right Mm. now, which is the fact that 
all the poison oak is already turning red. Uh-huh. Normally that doesn't happen until August. Uh-huh. Um, and the upshot being that, you know, I know that what I have to do is avoid anything that's red. Oh yeah. You know, it's an, it, it's a, there's something in the universe that really has worked with marvelous consistency that way. Yeah. You know, it's not stuff. just stop signs. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, everything is overgrown right now. All the trails are overgrown. You know, it's hot, hot and humid and mm-hmm. the plant life is just exploding, including the poison ivy. And so I've picked up a little bit of it, even though normally it doesn't bother me. But what I can tell you is that if you say poison ivy out loud three times right after you touch it, mm-hmm. that does not keep it from turning into an itchy mess on your arm. Mm. I've tried it a mm. few times. Um, but no. Yeah. yeah. No. I just keep tech new in my shower year round. Oh, yeah. It's next to my shaving cream. I will, you know, most of the luck I have, I think, with these poison um, plants is that I don't shave my legs and they're pretty hairy. And so very little makes it to the surface. We have bad ticks right now, right, too, uh, mm. at the moment, too. And, and I find them crawling around on my legs, but seldom embedded because That's, they just, uh, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. an odd sort of prophylactic. Yeah, yeah. Um. I, if my, if my legs were still as hairy as they once were, I, I I think I would be so terribly overheated. I don't, I just don't know what I would do. Um, could be. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you know, for me, the bottom line on on the dog question, and this just, it dovetails so much with the rest of my, uh, evolving personal philosophy is just to, Uh, extend that understanding that uh, riding bikes in places that have dogs really does vary around the country. There's, there's no, Mm. there's no one universal experience to this. Um, Right. It really does mean something very different in different places. And, you know, because we are a show that speaks to uh, a a big swath of America, um, you know, I, I, I like, the idea that we uh, are respectful of that. That's important to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy for Fred to be right. <laughs> I, I recognize that my view on this uh, is maybe not the mainstream view. That's okay. It's, it's a view and it's a perfectly valid view. Once we consider that it is somewhat regional in nature. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I think I'm also going to throw in, I really like that I don't have to deal with dogs the way I did in Tennessee. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't been attacked by dogs. I got nipped. I got nipped maybe a month or two ago. But again, I have a dog and, you know, I, I read the nip as I'm hurting you just a little bit, not I'm attacking you because you're bad. Well, I, that was I, uh, magnanimous on your part. Yeah, I mean, it was, there was the dog was not angry. It was busy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can, you can generally tell the difference. If the dog is angry, you know. Yeah, that, that is not something you can mistake. No, that's like red poison oak. It's pretty clear when the dog is angry. Yeah. 
Yeah. Busy though. This, see, this is why hanging out with other writers is so much fun. Word choice, people. Yeah. Word choice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And those dogs are just busy. They're not mad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's move on to Paceline Picks. Where are you this week? So a few weeks ago, I big upped Fixies. Uh, yes, which you did. was an odd choice. I will own. Yes, it was. So <laughs> it might feel like cheating now to talk about single speeding, but bear with me here for a minute because they're completely different things. Allegedly. Allegedly. So Saturday morning, I went mountain biking with some friends. Uh, we went to a local spot that I love, but don't get to very often. And I would name it here on the show. Except mm-hmm. I don't want you to go there. <laughs> <laughs> it's magic. It's a magic little place. Um, it's already pretty busy. I don't want people going there. If you can find it, go because it's amazing. But don't go. <laughs> so, as I said, it's small, but it's also sort of tight and twisty and technical in all those ways. I really love it. It's one of the few systems around here that was um, designed. Okay. So it's not just, you know, middle school kids tromping through the woods. It's not just some ambitious people with shovels. It was Nemba went in there, New England Mountain Bike Association went in there and did it. Okay. And it worked. Um, it's That'll help people narrow it down some. Yeah. It's really fun. Uh, yeah. If you, I hate that phrase, if you know, then you know, but it does apply in this, in this instance. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so we pull into the parking lot and I pull my bike off the rack uh, on my car. I hopped on and tried to shift gears only to discover my DI2 battery was dead. Oh, he shoots. He does not score. That's correct. So this is sort of a surprise to me. I charged it not that long ago and I've only ridden it a few times since. So I don't know what's going on. I mean, I can own the fact that my sense of time is pretty poor. So I'm probably wrong that I charged it recently. Well, is there any chance that it was leaning against something that may have depressed a shifter button? Um, it's next to my kid's drum kit. And maybe he knocked a symbol into it. I don't I, that seems oh, it, you need you need like the constant pressure right. on one of those buttons. And that'll 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 drain a battery. I don't ask how I know. I think. <laughs> I think what's most likely is that I charged the other DI2 bike I have and just conflated <laughs> the two of them. And I was like, it's fine. Um, and what's extra funny is that when I took that works in movie scripts, right? <laughs> what makes it worse is that when I took it out of the bike rack in my basement, the DI2 charger cable was hanging over it. Like, <laughs> like I certainly could have gone the night before and moved the plug, you know, six inches into the but i didn't so either way i had a uh, a choice in front of me uh i could swear histrionically uh re-rack my bike and drive home without saying anything to my friends which is funny and i would do it just for the laugh but i could just also ride single speed Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and as it turned out the bike was in a real good gear right sort of in the middle there uh, mm-hmm. So I chose the latter. And as it turns out, it was great. There were, uh, you know, there were a few moments when gears would have been nice. 
But this place we rode doesn't have any real climbing in it. It's like a few minutes up at a time and none of it too aggressive. It's mostly short, sharp bursts. Uh, and in a way, not having gears to think about helped me flow in the technical sections uh, because there are a mm-hmm. lot of obstacles in there. And so one gear to kind of manage. And, you know, so like once I got in the frame of mind that was that that sort of pedal tension and that that amount of uh, torque, I did mm-hmm. pretty well. Um there's things that I dabbed on that I might not have if I'd been in a better gear. <laughs> but equally, I cleared some stuff I probably wouldn't have if I'd been messing around with my shifter. Um, I only had one strategy available to me, and it was it would it was fine. Um, I did own a single speed mountain bike for a few years, so I'm not unfamiliar with it. Eventually, I decided uh, for that bike it was a little too specific uh, to serve all of my mountain biking needs. So I actually put a derailleur on that bike and, and I've since acquired an additional mountain bike, which is the one I was riding. But having said that in the right conditions, single speed gives you kind of a purity of experience, not unlike riding fixed gear. And I really love it. I, uh, I understand and respect that. And I would, I would (laughs) contemplate a single speed mountain bike uh, like just to leave in my mom's garage for trips back to Memphis. Sure. I would, I would contemplate something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Here in Sonoma County. Yeah. Gotta have the gears. Now I, I have friends who have single speed mountain bikes. Yeah. And I think that they should be under the care of a psychiatrist. Yeah. I will uh, say I'm advocating single speeding, but I will say that the single speeder as a rule, that character is a different sort of person. Yes. Yes. This is, this is very true. Um, I mean, there is a single speed category at the eight hours of Wente. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, 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 I'm, I, I just don't even, I can't, I, I will never fully. Uh, and the last time I raced there, I think it was laps four and six for me. I had the same single speeder pass me. <laughs> That's heartbreaking. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, that was, you know, I, I, um, I had a lot of words, most of which I, I, I mean, I try to keep it clean here. Yeah. Uh, and most of the words that were passing through my head, the second time he passed me, I would have to mark this episode explicit right. if I used them. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I just Sonoma County and single speed, I'd be okay with like, you know, a law passed against that. (laughs) I I wouldn't find that a a limit to my freedom in any way. I, but I mean, genuinely, yeah, if I was in Kansas or Nebraska or, you know, Western Tennessee or all of Mississippi or all of Louisiana or much of Arkansas and yeah, hundred percent of Texas, a single speed mountain bike. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but here. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> it's a sketchy choice in New England, for sure, because we do have, you know, a lot of punchy, you know, I, I've seen people single speed the, the Rasputitsa event up in uh, up in northern Vermont, which is ridiculous because it's just climbing on mud all day. 
Uh, I don't know why you would do that to yourself. So it was a sketchy choice. When I had the single speed myself, I definitely, I wanted, I think I was trying on a persona. I was, I was like, am I that guy? Am I that Mm, guy? mm, No, mm, I'm not that guy. mm. But on occasion, like if you forget to charge your battery, it can be still be pretty fun. I think, I think what I would say actually to listeners who haven't tried it is it's worth trying. If you don't live in, uh, you know, Chamonix. (laughs) <laughs> okay that that scans yeah yeah uh, so, uh, right. so what's, yeah. Your, what's your pick for this week well my pick isn't a particular product but a whole company oh. um so i was taking my boys to day camp this morning on my e-bike mm-hmm. i have an e-cargo bike and i had one of those classic moments that we uh i think much of this podcast exists to talk about how we will just randomly say to ourselves i love bikes bikes are awesome right uh, my boys were behind me uh sitting on their little bench seat chatting away talking to each other having a conversation which is yeah just lovely yeah i my, really my wife really calls love that when- brothering when my boys are just being normal humans to each other they're just look they're brothering how wonderful it i yeah i mean i I was never one for precious metals but this is clearly better than gold yeah 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 uh and we were doing 19 miles per hour as they're busy having the chat because e-bike right right and my e-bike is the spicy curry from yuba bikes uh which is based just down the road from me in kotati kotati that's fun to say yeah, uh, they only make bikes for utility. Right. That is, all of their bikes are considered cargo bikes at some level. They do both e-bikes and models without motors, because I'm not going to say acoustic, because that's just silly. Um, so, yeah, my bike, the Spicy Curry, places the kids behind me, and yeah. it uses a 20-inch rear wheel so that the deck is down pretty low, Yeah, keeps the center of gravity on the bike pretty low. 26 inch front wheel. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so this rather than like, you know, having a big bucket in front, uh, like their model, the super marche, which is modeled after the traditional Dutch yeah. style back yeah. feats. Um, I, I, let me just say, I like back feats a lot. I think they're really neat. Um, you know, at least as a category. And, you know, if you were in say, you know, some ancient city in Europe, you know, it would be just the thing. But a spicy curry is a good deal more maneuverable um, and is more efficient to boot. Um, Mine's got a a basket on the front. They call it the bread basket. Mm -hmm. And so I can make a run to the store and, you know, grab some things and whatnot. I don't have to use a backpack. Mm. Um, And then there's uh, there are two little handlebars in back, one coming off the seat post and then one between the two seat pads that allows the boys to sit. And then they've got running boards so that their feet don't wind up in the chain or the spokes. Because, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, my my youngest is eight now, but when he was four, it was like, right. who knows where his feet. And, you know, they were, the feet were smaller back then. So, you yeah, know, yeah, who knows yeah. where you they could have ended You want to duct tape up. those down before going anywhere anyway. Well, I mean, that much hasn't changed. I still think <laughs> about that. <laughs> Because my heels will sometimes like hit his feet or his knees or whatever. It's like, what are you doing back there? Right. You know, right. This is, you're not in a recliner, buddy. Right. Um, yeah. Just be lucky but, he's uh, not surfing. Uh, surfing the, the seat, so. the re, you know, 
Oh, yeah. Popped up yeah. between the bars. That's that. Could, oh, yeah. I that's could see all that. we need is one of them to become a stuntman on that thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of amazing. They haven't already thought that up anyway. So Yuba has a credit program like so many bike companies do. Um, so you can buy one of their bikes, you know, uh, even if you don't have the cash on hand to spare. You know, the, the big the big driver here that I'm thinking about is that every time I get on mine, I think about how there have been multiple studies out there that have shown that the single greatest thing we can do to decrease our carbon footprint is to park the car and go places by bike. Yeah. And having this, you know, look, you know, I've got this wonderful custom bike from Mark Danucci and I've got one from Chris Bishop and they've got these expensive paint jobs on them. Mm. And I am not locking that stuff to a bike rack. It's just, right. that is not a thing. Right. Um, but having a bike that I can pull up somewhere and put a lock on and know that there's a pretty high probability that nothing's going to happen while I'm inside. Um, that's awfully nice. Yeah. And with our weather being like this, which is to say that while there's a heat bubble up in the Pacific Northwest, you know, doling out things like 115 degree temperatures, uh, it's in the seventies here. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. And, and all the, all the pollen that was killing me back in May is done. Right. Yeah. So Yuba. Yeah. Spicy curry. It's a good name. Yeah. I like bikes they, with not bike names. Yeah, I, I'm into that as well. And just, you know, everybody there, uh, they're all really solid, nice people. Um, and dealing with them over the years has been uh, an absolute pleasure. So I enjoy recommending them. And it's been a while since I've talked about them. So I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Check them out if you're thinking about getting something for utility. Alrighty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the Pace Line. You doing anything fun or special or otherwise this weekend? I'm going to try to get over this cold uh, and then I'm going to oh. try to it's going to rain all weekend here, uh, oh. which will drive most of the humans inside, which is where I like them. And I'm going to hope to get out on my on uh, on my bike, even though yeah. I'm going to get wet. I'm into it. What nice. about you? Nice. I am contemplating a run down the peninsula and maybe on Saturday, a day of mountain biking in Santa Cruz. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's on my mind. That's I probably ridden, never a mistake. Uh, I mean, you, you, you'd have to be shirking some other duty for that to become a mistake. Yeah. 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 I don't like uh, responsibilities, so it's not a problem for me. It's been much too long since I've ridden down there. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I'm, I'm due for something of a, of a different flavor. So yeah. Yeah. Looking at that, right. we'll see if I manage to pull it off. Well, we'll hear yeah. about it later. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, that's all the more reason to do it. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, well, everybody. Hey, keep questions and comments coming. You all send us great stuff. Uh, we like having the things to think about. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Robot. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.